Does Giannis Antetokounmpo have an uncertain future with the Bucks, And what does that mean for the division rival Pacers? Plus, the player participation policy is out for the NBA. What does that mean for the Pacers and Jermaine O'Neal? Comments on his number moving to Buddy Heald and his state with the franchise. Lots to get to today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, some really big news items that were so big, I didn't want to throw them into a newsy episode, which will come later this week. And instead, I wanted to have them be their own standalone segments. We start with Giannis Antetokounmpo today because his future with the Bucks uncertain? Maybe. We'll see. What does that mean for the Pacers? Could he be on the Pacers? I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll parse through his quotes and look at that. We'll also talk about the player participation policy, the NBA's newest thing to combat load management, and how it impacts the Pacers, and specifically Tyrese Halliburton, who is one of the 49 players involved in the policy, and Jermaine O'Neal comments his number not retired. Buddy Heald's going to have it. Let's talk about that and my thoughts, and I want yours on that. But we'll start with, first, an apology, a short one. I still am in my temporary studio, so if you're watching on YouTube or hearing an echo or a fan, sorry, that will be updated very soon. All the furniture should be coming within the next couple days, and I can redo the setup, and it'll look and sound great again. Now, I start with Giannis, and this is not something I expected to come out at all this summer, quite frankly, or come out at all, given who Giannis is. This really starts... We had to go chronologically with the New York Times article that came out a few weeks ago where Giannis, who was about to be eligible for a $173 million contract extension, a three-year extension worth that much, I believe it's in a couple days or a couple, uh, soon-ish, he said to the New York Times, quote, the real question is not going to be this year. Numbers-wise, it doesn't make sense, which he could get the same extension next year for way more money. But he said, but next year, next summer, it would make more sense for both parties. Even then, I don't know. I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know that everybody's on the same page, everybody's going for a championship, everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do, and if I don't feel that, I'm not signing. And if you're the Bucks and you hear that, you're panicking. <laughs> and I'm sure they knew all of that, right? They just changed coaches and certainly have a renewed sense of urgency, but that, of course, will be something that around the league is significant. A star player of Giannis's caliber potentially being available is significant. The Bucks are not going to let him get away from nothing. They'll do everything they can to extend him, and if not, they have to, have to, have to think about trading him like every star player ever. What does this mean for the Pacers? Why are the Pacers relevant here? Well, there's more to it than this. Giannis actually has responded to questions about this, which credit to him for doing so. But the Pacers specifically, how are they looped into this? What does this actually mean? Because this is a big deal, right? He's one of the best players in the league and for significant portions of every season, perhaps the best player in the NBA. Well, he's in the Pacers division. <laughs> that is, of course, to me, the biggest direct hit from this because where he could end up could be any number of places. But he has terrorized the Pacers. I mean, absolutely terrorized them. The Pacers won in Milwaukee last year. They finally beat Giannis. On March 16th, if you remember that. The last time they beat Giannis prior to that game was December 12th, 2018. They beat the Bucks in the stretch in there once, but Giannis didn't play due to the birth of his first child in February of 2020. And so if you throw that game out, the Bucks had won with Giannis 13 times in a row. 
against the Pacers. The two times the Pacers beat Giannis surrounding that were two superhuman effort games. The 2018 one was the Thad Young game, if you remember. Giannis calling Thad one of the best players to ever defend him, and Thad also himself having 25 points and 11 rebounds that night, absolutely leading the Pacers in every way. Five steals, four assists. He was 9 for 14 from the field. That's what it took to beat Giannis, was that kind of game from Thad Young. When they beat the Bucks this year, they scored 139. The Pacers hit 22 threes, which is basically a franchise record, and everybody... Everybody was drilling him, right? George Hill had 15 points. TJ McConnell had 19 points. Andrew Nemhard and Aaron Neesmith combined for 46. You get the gist of what it takes for the Pacers to beat Giannis. He terrorizes them. He's in their division. The low-level, less interesting part for fans who want to hear about trades part of this is they don't, you know, that being in their division is a big hurdle, right? That's like been four scheduled losses for them every season. If they can be better than the Bucks or at least closer to their level, that's significant for the Pacers who are trying to move forward. And it will matter a lot to them if the Bucks are worse. They have absolutely destroyed them. But also the thing that every single team in the NBA will be watching is, is this guy going to be available? Is Giannis Antetokounmpo actually going to be available for trade? This is how the cycle goes. The extensions being available more early uh, or being a big signal for a player's future is a big factor in guys potential hitting the trade market. It was for Miles Turner until he didn't sign until he did sign the extension, excuse me, that he did with the Pacers. That was a talking point. He has not signed an extension should the Pacers trade him. His contract is expiring. That will be the case for Giannis, not this coming year, but in the future contractually, right? Bucks cannot lose a player like that for nothing. They did win a title. Maybe you just run it back a season that good. Because here's the thing. I kind of hate when people phrase it this way. Like I see a lot of of team coverage that says like, well, if Giannis is available, should the whatever team pursue him? Duh. Yes. Duh. Every single team should pursue Giannis if he's available. If the Bucks say, here's the max extension, and he says, no, I don't think this organization's on the same page as me. I want to push for a championship. I'm an MVP candidate. We, we are not good enough. We're just not good enough. Every single team in the NBA is going to call, right? This isn't a Dame thing where, you know, he's old and his contract is bad-ish or could be bad at the end. And a lot of teams are set enough at point guard or have a direction enough that, like, there's actually beyond Miami not that many teams that make sense for Dame. If Giannis is available, like, 25 teams <laughs> make sense if they can afford to pay the price it would take to get him. Like, forwards who can play on both ends, could be superstars on both ends, are incredibly valuable. And he's not that old. And, yeah, the end of his next contract will suck, but he's not on that contract yet. This is a lot different given his age and production. So he, every single team would want it, the Pacers included in that. And they should, of course, look at it. If it's possible, if Giannis is going to be available, and look, we're getting way ahead of it, but it's a big news item in the NBA right now. Yeah, if it's possible, the Pacers should pursue it. Duh. And here's what Giannis said, right? He went on the Believe, one of the Believe podcasts called 48 Minutes, uh, and he was asked about his future with the Bucks. Credit to them. They went straight at it. Um, I'll try not to read all of this. It's pretty long, but he said similar things he said to the New York Times. He said, at the end of the day, if the Milwaukee Bucks organization, which is the same thing I say every year, I've been with the Bucks. As long as we are in for a championship, as long as nobody's comfortable, as long as everybody's sacrificing the same amount of time and sweat and blood that I have sacrificed, we are good. He doesn't want the Bucks to be complacent, basically, right? He doesn't want everybody to be comfortable. He wants them to be pushing that way forward. And if he and the Bucks are on the same page for the rest of his career, that's great. But most, this is a quote, he said, but most importantly, I'm a winner. I want to win. And if I have, and I have to do whatever it takes for me to win. 
And if there's a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien, I have to take that better situation. So if you're a team that wants Giannis, you got to be a winner. And if you're the Pacers and you think we got a shot at this and they have all their extra picks and they have some young talent that's interesting and they have matching salary right now, who knows what they'll have in the future, then yeah, they have to think about it. <laughs> I mean, they'd have to be good though. They also would have to be in a situation where Giannis would go, hey, that makes more sense to me than the Bucks do. That said, if there's a trade to be had, then it doesn't matter what Giannis thinks. The Bucks can trade him wherever they want. But teams have to consider what his future is. Would he resign? And he wouldn't resign or sign if that team does not have the same championship aspirations as him. At least that's what he says. So to sum this up, I think the the direct hit to the Pacers is going to be if he's not in the, their division anymore, that's huge. That's significant. But if he is available, it would take first of all, it would take everything, right? Every pick you can offer young player they're going to want it all like you could try to squeeze out like one thing right the rudy gobert trade is going to be the comp here and the, the timberwolves trade everything but mcdaniels right like everything <laughs> so if if you're the pacers or any other team that's what it would be like everything but like one thing one pick one player one something who knows what that would be for the pacers it would take everything right but you know imagine halliburton is like a very good partner to me for a guy like Giannis, and that Giannis can compliment anybody truly but Halberton can shoot and play off of people and set people up. And they're both super smart defenders. Like that that's a dreamy combo to think of. He fit Giannis also just fits everywhere, though. We'll see what actually comes of this. I think this story will be much bigger next year, but the seeds have been planted. That said, last time Giannis planted the seeds, he signed an extension and then immediately won a championship with the Bucks and put some pressure on him and they got Drew. And they can quietly trade kind of a lot of stuff to get somebody again. So I think this is a big story now because Giannis is saying all this on the record. And by the way, credit to him. I wish more stars did this and answered up when people ask them about what their thoughts are. Good for him. He didn't say anything inflammatory. He didn't crap on the Bucks. He just said his thoughts. Great for him. Um, it's a big story in the NBA, and we'll see what it means for the Bucks this season if they try to do certain things. They have a new coach. We'll see what that means to the Pacers, who play them four times a year and have a lot of assets. Could certainly be circling. Also, if they trade Giannis, they got to trade Chris Middleton. They got to trade Drew. Maybe some other stuff. We'll see. Pacers certainly a team to watch in any star trade going forward, given the number of important things that they have in the asset base. Let's go somewhere else in the NBA for segment number two today, and that's the player participation policy. I hate the name. I think it makes the NBA sound bad, but it does impact the Pacers quite a bit in potentially two ways. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, of course, being one of them because he's involved, but also just in general, what it means for teams playing against the Pacers, what it means for the league. It's a big deal. It's a big rule change. What is it? We'll talk about it in the second segment today. Before we do that, though, got to talk to you guys about FanDuel. NFL's rolling. Fun week two. Snap into NFL action this season with FanDuel. America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet on FanDuel. That's it. $5, you get 200 in bonus bets. That's 200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, you don't have to win the bet. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now with the NFL season rolling to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, and they have a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. All your faves. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season, which is rolling into week three on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Hey, hey, I'm not going to stick in the NBA today. Lockdown Colts. Colts, they get a win. They beat the Texans, a team that they did not beat last year, which is crazy to say out loud. Anthony Richardson looked awesome for the little bit that he was in the game. The Lockdown Colts guys will break down his injury, the Colts winning, 
Is Anthony Richardson awesome? I think he is. I think he's fun, and that's what matters. Indie sports right now, fun. None of the good teams yet, but they're fun, and they're ascending. The Glockdown Colts guys will have more on the Colts here in Pacerland. Big rule change coming for the NBA via the new thing they have called the player participation policy. Look, okay, I have a lot of thoughts about this adjacent to what it actually is. I want to share what it is with you because it's important to the Pacers. It's important to Tyrese Halliburton. But I also have just thoughts on this as a fan of the NBA. This name sucks. The player participation policy, you have to put out a policy to get your players to play. You should not have called it that. They should not have called it that. They should have thought of the optics of what that actually means. And a big part of this is, of course, that there's a TV deal coming up and they need to tell their television partners, we're trying to get everybody to play in every game, including the games that are going to be on your network, TV provider. So I get it, but I just hate the name. Anyway, the Board and Converse put it out last week. They had their big meeting. Uh, and so the point of the policy, according to the bullet points, the NBA put out manage rosters, ensure that no more, more, no more than one star player is unavailable for the same game from a team. So for example, the Celtics could not rest Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same game, assuming they're both healthy. Also star players be available for all national TV games and NBA in season tournament games. So again, same kind of deal. Can't rest those games. Maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player and home and road games. We'll talk about that. That's a big one for the Pacers. But essentially, they'd rather you play on the road, especially if you only play there once, than at home. Uh, refrain from any long-term shutdowns in which star players stop playing games. That one definitely could impact the Pacers. They shut down kind of Tyrese Halliburton last year, although he was banged up. And then if resting a healthy player ensures the player is present at the games and visible to fans, Whatever, fans like to see their guy. That's why they buy tickets. So what does this mean? What is this? What's the point of this, right? It's a new league policy uh, to get guys to play, right? This follows the CBA that just came out where they said, hey, you can only win your league awards players if you play in 65 games. Clearly, there's an effort from the league that says this is this has gone too far. The resting has gone too far, and we have to get a grip on this for our fans, for our TV partners, and in general, for the health of our league. And I don't think it was like a daunting, overhanging, big issue, but it was certainly a problem, right? And national TV is a big part of it, which is not as relevant for the Pacers, who have one national TV game in Boston uh, next January. But it does matter for teams playing against the Pacers. And in-season tournament games will matter too. So first of all, a, a, a key part of this, and I'm going to be summarizing a lot from the great Bobby Marks, who wrote up a, the best summary of all the stuff at, uh, at, over at ESPN, and he talked to people in the league, and he talked to people who made the policy and all that. So here's a big rule that's going to make this helpful for the Pacers. And by helpful for the Pacers, I mean helpful to the Pacers if you are a consumer of Pacers basketball in Gambridge Fieldhouse. This is from Bobby and ESPN. Teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home games and road games with a preference for those absences to happen in home games. So they want guys to play on the road, right? They don't want to have happen last year where the Warriors, I'll pick on them, because they do this a lot. They played the Pacers in the Andrew Nemhard game, actually, uh, in Golden State. Steph played, Clay played, Draymond played, Andrew Nemhard beat them. And then two nights later, they played the Jazz in Utah, and they rested all three of those guys, right? And they play in Utah more than once a year, but that sucks. If you're a Jazz fan and you were psyched to see those players, you don't get to. That sucks. They had another game, the end of a road trip. They rested all three of their guys in Cleveland, the night after they had an overtime game against Boston. That sucks. They're only in Cleveland once a year. So the hope for the NBA is that that is no longer as easy for road games and they defer to home games. And also the new rule that's big for the team like the Warriors or any team is you can only rest one star at a time. 
So even if they rest Steph, Clay and Draymond would have to play. There are exceptions. We'll get to those. But that's the big meat of it is that's helpful for the Pacers if you're a consumer in that if you go to Gamebridge and they're playing against a team like this, you're not going to get totally screwed. You could get a little screwed. Like no Steph is obviously more big of a deal than no Draymond or no Clay. But I think that is a step forward because Greg Doyle put this well in the Indy Star. Part of it is... You know, they want guys to play a national TV game. So if you have a back-to-back and you're the Warriors and one of them's against the Pacers and one of them's against a different team, well, we know the Pacers only have one national TV game, so it's more likely the rest game would be against the Pacers. So in that way, it does hurt them a little bit. So the, the road game part of it helps, in theory. The national TV part hurts a little bit. So there's some yin and yang to this. It's good for fans in Indianapolis specifically. It's bad for the Pacers potentially if they play teams on back-to-backs where the second night involves national TV. Let's get to the Pacers-specific part of this, and I have lots of thoughts. I just keep bouncing around with this. For the Pacers specifically, uh, the rule is for you to count as a star and be in this group of players that the NBA is actually trying to mandate your your play and and not let you rest as much. Now, that's not accurate. It's not, they're not trying to avoid you resting and being healthy, but they want you to play. They just want you to play. If you're an all-star All-NBA in the last three seasons... You're a part of this policy. It's it's targeted at you. And if you make the All-Star team in 2023 after the All-Star game, it immediately applies to you. So Tyrese Halliburton is in the group. He um, has to have reasons for rest now or the Pacers would get fined. Now, the Pacers don't have a second All-Star or All-NBA guy from the last three years, so they don't have to worry about overlap with him and someone else, right? That is significant for them, but they want... Halliburton and guys like Halliburton to actually play in games. That's a big deal. And it's important for the Pacers to know that. Now, I they Halliburton's not a resting guy. Pacers are not a team that has been aggressive with this outside of maybe kind of the end of season shutdown kind of stuff. But they want guys to be healthy and playing in games. So Halliburton, this stuff applies to him if the Pacers get a second star during the season or in the future. And if it's a national TV game, you can expect that Tyrus Halliburton will be playing, even if even if, which is the Boston game only. Now, he's going to play in national TV games anyway, if you read Brian Winter's story. But even if he's slightly banged up or there's a back-to-back, Tyrese Halbert's playing in those games. The more significant one for the Pacers is the in-season tournament. You know Halbert's playing in all those, if healthy. And the weird thing is, this applies to every player, but, like, guys get banged up really early in the year, like, all the time, right? So, like, I think the cop-out for teams is going to be pretty easy to just say, like, this guy's been dealing with this all season. But the in-season tournament's early in the season. So that is an easy... Uh, kind of work around to me there. So I think Halliburton is going to be affected uh, in that he is one of the players that the policy actually governs. I don't think he'll be affected because of who he is. <laughs> he likes to play. He's young. He doesn't need as much rest as some of the older guys. We'll talk about older guys in a second. And the Pacers haven't been a heavy rest team, right? They haven't really needed to be given the, the state of their roster. So Halliburton's under this policy. If the Pacers get a second star, this becomes even more relevant. Um, but in general, I think Given the what I said about the road games and how it'll shake out, I think this could be a net positive for fans of the Pacers and the Pacers themselves. We will see as the season actually progresses. But clearly the NBA wants guys to play, as they should. And I think there's this perception amongst fans. I'm gonna I'm gonna eulogize for a second. There's perception amongst fans that NBA players don't want to play, right? They are choosing to rest. And Kawhi has become the face of this. Now here's the thing. I think there are some players in the NBA who do take some nights off because they want to. But I think I w- I'm wage- I'm guessing a little here, but I would say about 80% of the time a player is out for rest, it is the team's choice. The player does not want to rest. They would like to play. right? Maybe even higher than 
And a lot of the sports science stuff's pushing back against that. And I'm not saying the science is bad, but I'm saying that perception amongst fans is typically wrong, where they think, oh, these guys are sitting out and blah, blah, blah. No, I think it's usually a team-mandated thing. But this regular season's long, and guys take hits, and teams look for advantages where they can get it. So the real solution would be a shorter season, and I'm of the opinion, I've heard this other places, that the NBA would make the same amount of money, if not more, with less games. But that's not what the NBA is going to do. They're already pot committed to the 82 games. And so this is what they have to do. They have to incentivize guys to play as much as possible. And they have to find teams for resting too much. They need to get guys on the court for the league to be healthy and make money. There are some exceptions, right? It's not like LeBron is going to you know, be a million years old and they're going to force him to play. Um, I'm trying to find the exact thing. I might have just scrolled too far. The exceptions to the rules, guys who are 35 years or older on opening night, or have played 34,000 minutes in the regular season of their career, or have played 1,000 games across their whole career between the, the playoffs and the regular season. They are uh, immune to this, even if they qualify via the All-NBA or All-Star designations, which makes sense. <laughs> that means they're old, and they probably potentially need rest to be healthy for a full season. So the key things to figure out here for the Pacers and the NBA, are teams going to lie? <laughs> and how? If they do... Uh, can they catch them? And if they are, can they get around this, right? Is there ways around this for teams? Because competitive advantages are still competitive advantages, but I think the fan has to come first. So can the NBA crack down on lying or teams trying to skirt around this? And teams will get creative, and I think they should try to. Competitive advantages are important. We'll see how those kind of competing goals come to head. For the Pacers specifically, it's not as important because, as I said, low incentive for them to rest players. They're a younger team, not important. They only have one star here, so it's harder to do the overlap. So the key games will be their one national TV game, and if they get flexed in other ones, and then the in-season tournament games. You know Halburn's plan if he's healthy. So not being on national TV as much could lead to more resting of stars against the Pacers, but less likely to happen actually in Indy because of the encouragement for this to happen at home. This is all per Bobby Marks of ESPN, but either way, I think probably a net neutral, those two things for the Pacers. I'd have to actually dig in to see how many of their key games against marquee opponents on back-to-backs or at home versus on the road, but those seem like net neutral things to me. You can read more about this on the NBA site itself or on ESPN, or you can ask me questions by tweeting at me. Tweeting, not a verb anymore, but whatever, on at Tony R. East on X slash Twitter or commenting down below on YouTube. One more thing I want to get to today. Jermaine O'Neal did not think I'd be talking about him this summer, but Buddy Hill changed his number, which was going to be a one-sentence line in a future news podcast. Instead, it's a big deal involving Jermaine O'Neal and his thoughts on the Pacers franchise and how they retire numbers. We'll talk about that to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Taj Gibson is back with the Wizards. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt has signed an extension or is going to at least with the Lakers. Signings are happening. The league is still making transactions. You can check out Lockdown Lakers or Lockdown Wizards for the latest on those. And we'll talk about rookie scale stuff for transactions here in Lockdown Pacers later this week. Schedule this week, two episodes with Kalen Cooper for player season previews. Centers tomorrow, shooting guards on either Thursday or Friday. We'll do one episode looking at contract stuff because I haven't done that for a long time, specifically rookie scale extensions and options. And then... We'll talk about top 100 lists one day this week. Do I think they're good or bad? And the players, Pacers players' placement on them. Let's close out today's show with this Jermaine O'Neal discussion. And this is fascinating to me. I did not expect this to come up. And I think there's been some interesting points thrown around via the Pacers interweb sphere. So here's how this started. Buddy Heald is changing his number from 24 to 7. Pacers announced it on social media. Um, 
came out of nowhere. Buddy Heald wore three for a little bit at Oklahoma. And then once he changed to 24 at Oklahoma, he's been 24 ever since. With OU, with the Pelicans, with the Kings, with the Pacers, he's always been 24. So seven comes out of nowhere. I'm curious why he did this. He hasn't said a reason why. We will find out on media day, I suppose. If I had to guess, let me be very clear to anyone listening, this is a guess. It's a Kobe thing. He's a big Kobe fan, and 24 is one of Kobe's numbers. But that is, again, a guess. He is now number seven. He is not given a reason for choosing seven. Again, we will ask him about it come media day. That's it. I thought that would be the whole thing. Buddy Heald changed numbers. Congrats to him. He's the third player to do it this summer. Jairus Walker's five. Obi Toppin's one. Whatever. But instead, this became a much bigger deal because the Pacers posted on Instagram and a fan commented and said something about this is disrespectful to Jermaine O'Neal. Uh, you know, he, he wore seven. He And then the fan said something like, I said the same thing with Brogdon. Like, you know, J.O. should have this number. And so the, for some background here, Jermaine O'Neal wore seven for the Pacers from 2000 to 2008. Since he left the team, Brogdon wore seven for his three years with the franchise. Uh, Al Jefferson wore seven for a year, and then he actually changed to 25, and George Hill wore seven for a year, and now Buddy Heald's about to wear seven. So J.O. actually replied to this fan, right, the fan who said it was disrespectful. J.O. replied and said, quote, I love Buddy and the work he puts in. My statement has nothing to do with him. It is disappointing to watch teams every year recognize and celebrate the players who've been the franchise's very best players on and off the court, but yet the Pacers don't. It's been confusing and disappointing to say the least. And there's an exclamation point at the end of that. So I, I can't tell if he's trying to say he thinks his number should be retired or if he just thinks he should be honored by the Pacers in some way. There's some background here. Jermaine O'Neal was awesome for the Pacers, quite frankly. Uh, you could stack up his resume against anyone who's ever played for the franchise. Six all-star appearances. That's crazy. That's the most of any Pacers in just the NBA time. So maybe a guy's got there. In the NBA time alone, J.O. stands above the rest. Third in MVP in 2003-2004. Best finish by any Pacer ever. One of the best seasons by any Pacer ever, right? He was a beast. A beast back then. He was also a part of the brawl and got suspended 25 games. That later got appealed and knocked down to 15. So I get that that matters to his resume with the Pacers also. Because on court only, his resume is very good. His eight years with the team were phenomenal. He was amazing. But that obviously is a big taint here. So let's talk about this whole sphere. And I'll insert my opinion a little bit. But my opinion is not that important here. So here's all the numbers the Pacers have retired in the rafters. Six. Bill Russell. Every team has six retired. Once guys who are in the league who wear six now are done wearing six, they'll never be worn again. George McGinnis is number 30. George McGinnis won two titles with them, was one of their best players in the NBA, and came back in the NBA. And George McGinnis, also notably here, a Hall of Famer. Reggie Miller, his number 31 is retired. Duh. Um, best player in franchise history. His entire career was with the team, led them to their only finals appearance. Mel Daniels, number 34, retired. Again, part of the, the ABA teams that won three titles. He was a part of all three of them. Roger Brown's 35, retired. Same deal. A part of all three ABA teams that won a title. And I should add, for Reggie Miller, Mel Daniels, and Roger Brown, all in the Hall of Fame. And the last number retired by the Pacers, irrelevant for jerseys, but relevant for this discussion, is Slick Leonard, who the number they retired for him is 529. That's the number of wins he had as the coach of the Pacers alone, right? So there, and Slick Leonard's in the Hall of Fame. Their bar for being in the Raptors is very high. And I think that's good. I think that retiring few numbers makes it way more significant and important. I think that's good. And the Hall of Fame prerequisite 
is is cool to me. You have to be a Hall of Famer to get it. That said, it's kind of weird to look back in retrospect. Let's talk about Reggie Miller. No doubt, even if he didn't go in the Hall of Fame, he would have had his number retired by the Pacers, to me. He got his number retired by the Pacers in 2006, right? That was the year after he played for the franchise. So they the franchise clearly agrees. The Pacers retired his number in 2006. He did not make it to the Hall of Fame until 2012. So he was actually, his number was retired before the Hall of Fame. So J.O. is not in the Hall of Fame, right? So in theory, he could be one day, and then his number could be retired before or after. It doesn't matter how you feel about this. But that's the context of, of the number retirement thing is I don't... It, I like the bar of being really high, right? Those guys have had it really high. And the only other guys who are in the Hall of Fame and played for the Pacers for more than one season, right? Like Adrian Danley played for the Pacers for a season. That doesn't count. Chris Mullen, who was a part of a very good Pacers team, probably the two best, two of the three best teams in Pacers history Chris Mullen was on, but he was only with the Pacers for three years. And Alex English, who was with the Pacers for like a year and a half. Those are the only two Hall of Famers who played with the Pacers for multiple seasons. Clearly, neither of them impacted the franchise enough to have their number retired. So I think the standard they've set is pretty dang good. And so J.O., I think on merit, is like right on the fringe of what you would retire a number for for a franchise. I think some other franchises would. I think the Pacers maybe would consider it if he didn't, if he wasn't involved in the brawl. And like technically Reggie was too. He was suspended for a game. But like J.O. was significantly involved in the brawl and originally got over a quarter of a season suspension and it got knocked down to 15. And... I know that that sucks, but that has to be a part of it to me. It just does. Now, on merit alone, he probably deserves it. So my opinion would be it's fine that his jersey's not retired. But Alex Golden's been talking about this a little bit this summer. I think this is a good point. Something like a ring of honor like the Colts do, I like that idea, right? Like a tear down from a number retirement, but still like honoring legends of an organization. That is a good idea, right? Like they celebrate these guys every game in some capacity or like, tweet it when it's their birthday or like put them in promotional videos because they're legends and people know who they are and honoring them in some way makes sense. Now I saw Mark Monteith replying and I thought this was smart too. Where do you draw the line for that? What is, what is the cutoff to be in the ring of honor? And that is a good point. That is hard to determine. And maybe that makes it not worth it because it's hard to figure out what the cut line is. Either way, this is a long discussion to say, buddy, he'll change his Jersey number to seven and J.O. thought, man, the Pacers aren't honoring me enough in some way. And I don't even think he was implying his number should be retired. He didn't actually say that. He said uh, he said that every year teams recognize and celebrate players who have been the franchise's very best players on and off the court, but yet the Pacers don't. He just said honoring. He didn't even say retiring the number. So I think that there's some merit to that, but I also don't think his number should be retired. So it's kind of hard to marry these together because he is commenting on a post about someone taking his taking his air quotes number, even though three other guys have worn it. So this is only a, th- you know, J.O. commenting is why this is popping up now instead of when Al Jefferson or Brogdon wore seven. But this is significant, right? His opinion does matter. He's one of the best Pacers of all time. Uh, another fan replied to J.O.'s comment and said something like, you know, you didn't win a title. Why should your number be retired? He said, no one has won a champion. This is J.O. He said, no one has won a championship in Pacer history. So did Reggie or any of the other Pacers greats not deserve to be recognized for their work? I'm guessing you don't know anything about sports. <laughs> Love a snappy uh, athlete on social media. So my opinion would be that I like what Alex is saying. I don't know how you make the line of demarcation and say, like, this is enough to be in our ring of honor, and this isn't. So that's hard, and that makes it a really tricky exercise to actually complete. But, like, J.O. should be somehow honored in some way by the Pacers. But I don't think he's reached the number in the rafters territory, right? Right. 
He could have, had he either been with the franchise for longer or not been a part of the brawl. Paul George probably could have if he stayed with the Pacers for longer, but he didn't. So they won't be retired. Paul George could be the guy who breaks this pattern of, you know, he might get to the Hall of Fame. I don't know. He has no finals appearances. His college resume is not that great. We'll see if PG makes the Hall of Fame or not. The Basketball Hall of Fame is, is the easiest of all the pro sports. If he does, his Pacers resume is pretty good, and he'll be a Hall of Famer. And that might break everything I just said in terms of the precedent set. But in general, right now, the precedent seems obvious, and J.O. is probably just outside the cut line. But I do agree there's he should be honored in some way. I don't think it's some big deal that Buddy Heald is wearing number seven. But if J.O. does, he's inclined to feel any way that he wants to feel. I want to know how people feel about this, or if I just said something stupid, or if I misquoted something historically. I'm trying to get my Pacers history down. It's been a big project for me this summer. So, again, tweet at me at Tony R. East, or this podcast at Locked on Pacers, or if you're watching on YouTube, comment down below. Tell me that I'm an idiot or the smartest person ever. Yahoo! Uh, tomorrow, like I said, Kalen Cooper's back for our player season previews. We're talking centers tomorrow. So, Miles Turner, Daniel Tice, and Isaiah Jackson hitting the airwaves for you tomorrow. And we're like a week away from Pacers activity heating up. So, the season's coming before you even know it. Lots of fun stuff coming here on Lockdown Pacers, and the NBA is coming. You'll get media days for team in like 10 days. It's exciting. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Check out Lockdown Colts for your latest on indie pro sports on the football side. Have a great day. We will see you soon.